deep down that makes us feel kind of ill or sick. Uh, or sometimes they call it shaking in your boots. It can be an actual physical reaction of terror when we are so afraid of the situation uh, we are in. But what we will look at this morning is that all these fears are merely based on lies. As I began to reflect on the scripture uh, for preparation for this morning, I began to think of the different ways that I get into this situation. And it seemed to me most of the time it is a downward spiral where at each point I am looking lower and lower at things and I'm going round and round and getting further and further from where I began. And I don't seem to be able to pull myself out. I don't know if any of you can identify with this, but oftentimes for me, it happens when um, something small happens that is unexpected and it throws me off. It catches me off guard and I begin to analyze it and think about it and not usually in a balanced way and not usually in a level minded approach. I start to get to fear and worry. And you think of that statement of fear and trembling. Sometimes you get that far. But I'll be asking questions and going lower and lower. And the next thing I know, I am very far from where I began. Last night, Duke basketball team traveled eight miles down the road to play Carolina in the Dean Dome. It's the last game of the regular season and arguably more important than an ACC tournament. And some might even believe more important than early rounds in the NCAA tournament. Duke had beat Carolina earlier in the year at Cameron. So it was a return to the enemy territory facing our rival once again. We came back from an overtime victory last time that we shouldn't have won. And so we expect to go back and face a much more organized, much more formidable opponent in Carolina. And last night with about 12 minutes to go in the game, I started on my downward spiral. Player after player got into foul trouble. We began turning the ball over. Tyus Jones falls to the ground under the basket, landing on his tailbone. And the nearby reporters said you could hear it echo through the Dean Dome. He was taken out of the game, and I was very, very nervous. And I began to think, oh, no, this person's out. This person's out. We've lost people to transfers. We only have eight scholarship players. What are we going to do? We're in the Dean Dome, we're on foreign soil, all these kinds of things. And you go lower and lower and faster and faster and worse and worse. If you have a teenager, if you've been a teenager yourself, you can remember these days. And if you're in the middle of it, I assure you it'll get better. But one small thing can trigger it. Sometimes a comment made by someone and it's taken out of context and you think, what did that mean? And you start to think it over, not with logic or reason or trust or love, but with fear and step by step, you go lower and lower. Well, maybe they meant this. Well, maybe they don't like me anymore. Well, if they don't like me, maybe my other friends don't like me. Well, if my other friends don't like me, I'm going to be alone. And before you know it, you are alone and in this horrible place of despair. And nothing has really changed in the factual situation. But what we are focusing on has changed greatly. Last night... I lay asleep in my bed and I woke up to this very strange sound in my house. And I thought, what is that noise? And it just kept going and going and going until I finally sat up in bed and found that there was a leak in my roof. And it kept going and going and going. So I got out a big bucket and put it under the leak 
And then it, you know how that works. It's louder and louder and louder. And I'm laying in bed trying to sleep. And my mind begins to wander. And I begin to go through this downward spiral. And I think, oh, no, they didn't fix the leak from two weeks ago. Oh, no, remember how long it took them to wait until the roof dried, until they could actually fix it, and then bring out the roofer and get on his schedule, and then patch the roof. And, oh, they actually wanted to redo the drywall as well. And, oh, I might have to move out of my place. Now I have to find another place to live. Where am I going to live? And at 5 in the morning, I have gone that far, and I'm thinking that I have to move out and suddenly find a new place to live. And this is how it works with fear. We have this downward spiral where we go further and further without reason or logic. And we are suddenly lost. I'm dating a girl pretty seriously, as I remind y'all very often. We're still not engaged, don't worry. But we are getting further and further along this journey. So from time to time, we will have discussions of the future. And I recently discovered that in the next year we will have five huge transitions in our life. She will graduate from grad school and likely be looking for a new job. We will both be moving into a new place to live. And in that time we will likely get engaged and then married. Five huge transitional points in your life in less than a year. In the last couple of weeks I was speaking with a mentor of mine and he was I was recounting to him all these different transitions that I realized that would be taking place likely in 2015. And he brought up that stress in our lives, even stress from good things like those five things I enumerated, can weigh us down and bring great intimidation and even fear. Don't tell my girlfriend that. But we begin to see these things and we begin to realize so many things are changing. And I can very easily look at these five big transitions in my life and think how little I know about each one, how much new things they will bring in my life, and in some ways how unprepared I feel for these new times. How many are with me in this feeling we have where we can begin to spiral out of control in asking all these questions? I began to notice some commonalities as I thought through in preparation for this morning. In these times of downward spiral, I begin to ask many questions unlinked from one another, but usually on top of one another. They have this compounding effect, and I usually ask these questions at a very rapid pace. What about this? What about this? What about this? Or even worse, what if this? What if that? What if this horrible thing happens? What if this small chance of a thing takes place? And you start to line up all these situational, conditional occurrences that may happen that we know never will. And we line them up and at the end we are terrified. You know, what if my pastor gets up and asks me not to be the usher this morning but to preach the sermon? You know, oh my gosh. This could be a horrible day. What if, what if, what if? And the next thing we know, we have spiraled out of control. In our scripture passage this morning from Second Chronicles 32, we face a similar situation where we are driven to fear by enemies, by evil. And when I look at this scripture, I think we have a lot to learn. Beginning in the 32nd chapter, 
I won't read it all because it's long, but King Hezekiah is king over the Israelites and is fortifying the city of Jerusalem. Shennacherib, king of the Assyrians, who are this evil people that have a history of slaughtering and conquering others, are making their way throughout the land, headed to Jerusalem, destroying one city after another in horrible, horrible fashion. Think ISIS, think Hitler, think whatever evil dictator you prefer, but they are coming in this manner of total massive destruction headed to Jerusalem. And here Hezekiah sees them coming and begins to prepare his people. Listen to what he says. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words. Again, this is Hezekiah, the king of the Israelites, the good guys. Be strong and courageous, he says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah the king of Judah said. In a sense, it's a pregame speech to boost up his troops, to refocus them on the realities of the truth of God before them and give them courage. He even says, do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous. In the midst of these hard times, we need this refocusing. We need someone who's grounded, who's rooted and established, who can refocus us on the truth of God and his presence. But I want you to hear how Sennacherib replies. Later, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and all his forces were laying siege to Laish, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. This is what Shennacherib, king of Assyria, says. So it's being read to the Israelites. There's a message from the enemy king who is quickly approaching Jerusalem by destroying all the cities in their, in their way. And this message says, On what are you basing your confidence? That you remain in Jerusalem under siege? When Hezekiah says, The Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you. He is misleading you and will let you die of hunger and thirst. You see, Hezekiah, in preparation to secure the city, had cut off some of the supply lines, like the river that went through the city. He had fortified the wall and even built another outer wall. So Sennacherib is questioning Hezekiah's means, getting, getting the people to question and doubt their leader. He's misleading you. He's going to let you die of hunger and thirst. He goes on, did not Hezekiah himself remove this God's high places and altars, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it. He's twisting what was done. Hezekiah faithfully was called to centralize worship in the temple and took down other worship sites. And so Sennacherib is calling his people to question that, to say, do you really follow this person who does these things? He's twisting what was done. He goes on. Do you not know what I and my predecessors have done to all the peoples of the other lands? He's bringing up this history of destruction. 
Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? Can you feel the doubt that seeps in as he shares these words, these threatening words? He brings up this history of destruction of his people. None of their people have withstood us. None of their gods have conquered us. He's drawing them to doubt, to question. And then he goes beyond just them and he zeroes in on our God. He says, how then can your God deliver you from my hand? He starts with the leader and how he's providing for his people. He lays out a long history of destruction that no one has been able to stop. No army, no other God. And then he zeroes in on the God of Israel. This is the crux of doubt. This is the core of confusion and deception that lies at the heart of fear. When we talk about fear, David talks about it as an acronym. It doesn't spell stars, but it spells fear. Fear, false evidence appearing real. In all these situations, what Sennacherib is bringing up is lies, half-truths. And notice how he's compounding it, just like we do when we spiral out of control. Well, what about this? And did this really happen? And is he really caring for you? And look at how we've conquered them. And now we're going to conquer you. It's one step after another without even pausing to think about what's going on or be able to respond. And then he ends up with this conclusion. He's using fear. It even says it in the scripture. Listen to this from, from verse 18. When, when the army approaches, it says they, they then they called out in Hebrew in the people's own language so they could understand them. They called out to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and to make them afraid in order to capture the city. To make them afraid in order to capture the city. This is the king of the Assyrians. As we've heard in this recount, he has a vast army. We know this to be true. Hezekiah brought it up himself. He has a vast army. We, our leader told us this. But it's not even the army that Shennacherib is coming with to conquer the city. He says it himself. It's the fear. He seeks to make them afraid in order to take the city. It's about losing heart. It's about losing focus. It's about losing hope. It's not about a battle of the flesh or the will. It's not something that they will fight on the battlefields. It's something that is fought internally. It is hope. It is belief. It is faith. And we know this. We experience this. We see this in our focus. We see this in how we spend our days. We don't wake up on the front lines in a physical battle, most of us at least. And yet we are confronted with this opportunity for fear, this opportunity to respond to lies of doubt, of questioning, of who am I really called to be? What am I really supposed to be doing? Is, am I really able to do these things? Is this really going to work out? And we ask these small little questions 
And we get distracted and we begin to doubt and we begin to downward spiral. Many of you will have seen the commercials on TV for direct TV. And it starts off with a man watching TV at his house and he's watching cable and his cable goes out. So he's really frustrated. So because he's frustrated about his cable going out, he goes to blow off steam at the gym and blowing off steam at the gym while playing racquetball. He gets a little too aggressive, getting a little too aggressive. He ends up getting a black eye. He goes on the bus that day, riding home with a black eye. He looks tough. The story talks about, well, what happens when you look too tough? Well, the rough guys on the bus take you off the bus and rough you up. And when they rough you up, what do they do? They leave you in a ditch. So after all this stuff, he ends up in a ditch. And the, the commercial says, don't get cable, get direct TV so you don't end up in a ditch. And this is how it goes with fear. We downward spiral from one thing to the next. And in the morning, we're sitting on the couch watching cable TV. And all of a sudden, we have gotten ourselves from that couch with cable TV to a ditch. And this is how it is with fear. We spiral downward out of control. In our small groups, we talk about how you need a buddy to be able to call when you are what we call circling the drain. You are on this downward spiral. You are out of control. You are going lower and lower, and you can't get yourself out. And you need a friend to come in and pull you out. And if you're in close enough community, they can know that and they can see that and they can grab you. It's like watching your kids start to cross the street. You grab them before they go. But a lot of times we in our individualistic life have to actually pick up the phone and call someone. We talk about having that friend on speed dial where you can say, and you can say, you can call and say, I am circling the drain. I need help. And in my family, a family of three boys, we call it a good cold slap in the face. I shared that at pastor's meeting and they preferred an encouraging word. (laughs) However it comes across, you need someone that can do that, that can come and say, I think you're circling the drain. Why don't we slow down a bit? But reaching out to someone does so much. Someone that is outside these circumstances, someone that is on firm footing, Someone that can speak to us of the reality of what is going on because this fear is just false evidence appearing real. And as we slow down and we begin to have good sense spoken to us, we begin to realize that these things are not as horrible as they seem. Last night in the game, as we got into foul trouble and we began to turn the ball over and we began to do this and then that. And then Tyus Jones lands on his tailbone and I start to freak out. And Coach K calls a timeout and it's for the players, but it feels like it's for me. So you can take a deep breath and okay. And that's where you need, you know, I feel I need to be in the circle in the huddle with him refocusing. Okay, what are we going to do? And what's my assignment? And where do I stand? And okay. And we need that person that can just speak plain to us and get us back on track. These fears are all based on lies. All Sennacherib is bringing up are lies and half-truths. And what do we see Hezekiah doing? Be strong and courageous. Take heart. Do not be discouraged. This is not about his vast army. This is about our God who will deliver us. He is raising our focus. He is taking our gaze off the immediate thing in front of us that is terrifying us. That appears to be very real and very frightening. And he reminds us of our heavenly father and he says, 
do not be afraid. How many times in Scripture do we see that? How many times do we hear Jesus reassuring us that? How many times do the angels, when they show up, start with people, do not be afraid? I I bring good tidings of great joy. And then the story is about a heavenly reality. We live in this funny world between two worlds. But Jesus comes and says, this is a very safe place to live and I am bringing my kingdom here. And that is what he invites us to be a part of. Just as Ryan Jacobson told us, this is not the full story. And we know how the story ends. That is one of the wonderful realities of the call of God. He doesn't call us to this unknown mystery to say, well, we'll see, question mark, how does it end, big suspense thriller, come back next week. No, he comes and he says, I am going to show you the way. I am going to the Father. Jesus has laid this out for us. He sends his spirit. He tells us how the end of the book goes. God wins. Jesus returns. He conquers all. God's love never fails. We find out how this works. But in the midst of the trials and the struggles, we get caught in the lies and the deceptions and the half-truths, and we begin to respond to them. And one by one, we spiral down and begin to circle the drain. False evidence appearing real. It's all just lies. The reality, the truths that we're called to follow and respond to are of this. Sacrifice. God says, I will give my only son for you, that whomsoever should believe in him shall not die but have eternal life. Jesus says, I am going to go so I can send you the Holy Spirit. And through him you will do greater things than I. This is the reality that we're called to. This is the reality that pulls us out of our fears, that downward spiral. And King Hezekiah, how does he respond when this king is coming forward, slaughtering his own people? In verse 20, it says, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. Yes, he prepares the walls. Yes, he makes weapons. But most of all, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. This is not a battle of armies. This is a battle of the Lord's. And friends, I am here to assure you, the Lord has won the battle. What does Jesus say from the cross? But it is finished. False evidence appearing real. As we begin to encounter these downward spirals of responding to our fear, I encourage you not to respond to lies. To reach out to those around you, to ground you in the truth of God, to return to you, you to his scriptures and to prayer and to be encouraged. Be not afraid, God says. I am always with you, even to the ends of the age. Amen.